1: Welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, We gather like this every weekend and always very, very pleased when you uh, come join us. Uh, You're listening, of course, to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Now, our engineer is a gentleman named Alan Dempsey. Uh, He gets us on the air every weekend very efficiently. And Andrew Herdliska produces the show. Uh, Carol McLeod joins us, founder of Carol McLeod Ministries. She's in Oklahoma City. Her new book is out. It's called Significant, Becoming a Woman of Unique Purpose, True Identity, and Irrepressible Hope. Carol, welcome. Uh, I hope you're doing well.
2: Thank you, Pat. I'm excited to be here as we get ready to start a brand new year.
1: Well, we're uh, we're very close to that, and uh, I'm so happy we can start it off with you. Uh, so, Thank sig- you. explain that word significant. Why is that an important word?
2: You know, I wanted a strong word. I wanted a word that people immediately connected to. Um, you know, we all have different goals, we all have different dreams, we all have different paths. But one thing I believe we all have in common is we want our lives to matter. We, we want our lives to, to matter past the morning cup of coffee and watching the evening news and maybe getting a deal at the mall. And and so significant was the word to me that, that seemed to convey that meaning. We all long our, for our minutes to matter and for our lives to be significant to somebody. And so significant is, is a call. And you know, the book is, Written chiefly to women, although the principles um, are for men and women, of how to really hang on to a significant life and make every day to matter.
1: Well, you have uh, six key pieces to this book. Uh, The first one is simply this, and I want you to expand on it. You are a woman. Uh, Fill us in.
2: Okay. Um, We live in an interesting time in history, Pat, as you know, um, where some people applaud women and some people think that women need to stay in some type of box, big or small, um, depending on your reference point. But this is what I believe. I believe that God created women to be glorious, to be significant, and to make a resounding difference at their moment in history. And women are, are not defined by the culture. They're not defined by their past. And I'll say this part gently. They're actually not defined by men, but women are defined by their creator. They're, they're, they're created for destiny, for greatness, and for fitness for fulfilling a masterful part of the plan of God. And so, Pat, I just want to call women, out of the limitations that have been put up on them and out of the lies that their culture, either conservative or liberal, has spoken to them about, I want women to go to the Word of God to determine who they are and why they were created. The Bible is the looking glass through which all of us, male or female, should extract our identity. So girls who are listening out there, sisters, in the sound of my voice, you were made for significance. You were made for glory. You were made for hope. You were made in the image of your Creator. So now let's live that way.
1: Let's get to the second topic here. You okay. you are a woman of unmatched purpose. Uh, what does that mean?
2: You know, we will never know our purpose until we know our purpose in God. So Pat, your purpose is your why. It's the reason you're sucking in oxygen today. Um, your purpose is the calling that you hope to fulfill. Um, it's, it's what you believe God can do through your life, through your ordinary life, what an extraordinary God can do through a common life. That is your purpose. And as we read Scripture, as we hunker down and go digging for gold in Scripture, I can assure everyone who's listening this morning that, that you're not forgotten when it comes to purpose, that when God created you, all of the heavens exploded in a roar at your potential and about what you could potentially accomplish during your tenure on Earth. You're, you're not forgotten, you're not random, and you're not a throwaway. Um, this is the challenge, Pat. Often, we want to accomplish our own purpose rather than God's purpose for our lives. Um, you know, Pat, the reason we are here is to go about doing good like Jesus went about doing good. Mm -hmm. The the reason we're here is to love difficult people. That's why we're here. The reason we're here is is to be kind. Um, Your life story will only be as significant as your determination, as your resolve to tell the story of Jesus through your life. Because in a nutshell, that is your purpose to tell the story of Jesus through your life on good days and on hard days, on extraordinary days and on average days. Your purpose is to tell the story of Jesus.
1: Now, my guest, by the way, is Carol McLeod. Uh, The book is called Significant. Uh, Here's the third major topic you get into. You are a woman of glorious identity. Uh, I need you to expand on that.
2: Oh, I'd love to. Okay, so let me just say the difference between identity and purpose. So purpose, if purpose is your why, identity is your who. Um, Identity is who you think you are. It's the names that you call yourself. Um, But again, Pat, there's a problem, there's a challenge that we have extracted our who, our identity, from a number on a scale, from a bank account, from education, um, from marital status. Oh, how about this one? From how well our kids are behaving. Mm-hmm. That Unfortunately, we've extracted our who from those very tenuous um, answers. But again, we must look in the mirror of Scripture. And I, I love the first couple of chapters of Genesis, Pat. They're, they're so exciting. Um, when my We have five kids. My husband and I have five kids. And when all the kids were home, uh, still growing up, we used to play this game called, Where Would You Be? And it would be, if you could be at any Bible event, where would you be? And, of course, the little boys wanted to be there when, you know, David slew Goliath, or when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, the little girls wanted to be there at the birth of Jesus. But me, I always wanted to be a creation pat. Mm. I I wanted to be there at that instant when humanity first took its place on the stage of history. Can, can you even imagine what was happening in the heavenlies at that miraculous moment? Well. I want to tell you, Pat, and your listeners, that when you stepped onto the stage of God's history, it was the same thing. It was the same feeling. It was the same miracle. Um, God created you, Pat, in His exact image. If you want to know who you are, that's who you are. You were created. Now, you're not God, but you're created to be like Him in all of the ways that matter. And so as men and as women, um, that's where we need to extract our identity, is, is from the Father. And I I often tell people when I go speak, listen, give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Read your Bible so that the Holy Spirit can speak to you about who you are, about who you have been created to be. The Bible at its core, it is theology, but it's also a history book. It's the history of God's people either blowing it or honoring Him at moments big and small. And so it's from the Bible that we must take our cues. The Bible is our script, it's our mirror, and it's our charge. You you understand this, Lingo Pat. It's our playbook. It's, it's where we get the plays that we're going to enact in the game of life. Um, so that's sort of an overview of identity. You're created in the image of God. You're created to be like him in all the ways that matter.
1: My guest is Carol McLeod. The name of her book, Significant. We've got another segment with Carol right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. Carol McCloud is in Oklahoma City. Uh, she joins us to talk about her new book called Significant. And Carol, we've arrived at the fourth distinct section that will take readers on a journey to explore their significance. And this one is simply called Never Alone. It's a major major item in your book, and I want you to expand on that. Never, you are never alone.
2: Yeah, Pat, you know what we did in writing this book is we did some research. We went to secular sources, the AMA, Harvard, Barna, Huffington Post, to find out what the four major challenges were for women in life. And then this is a, my book, Significant, is a biblical response to those challenges. And so, of course, we've already talked about destiny. Uh, we've talked about your why. We, we've talked about identity. We've talked about your who, because those are two of the biggies that women fa- face regardless of their faith. And then the third and the fourth were stress and loneliness. So let's talk about loneliness. Um, loneliness is pervasive. Loneliness does not mean that you don't have people in your life. It means that you don't have relationships that matter. Um, and in this day and age of social media, loneliness is on a trajectory um, that's near, virtually unstoppable because we're not looking people in the eye anymore. We're not listening to people's hearts anymore. We might be looking at their pictures. We might be looking um, at their political views, but we're not having those one-on-one heart-to-heart moments that community takes. And so, as you said, the next section of the book is about loneliness. Of what do we do when we feel alone? Um, Pat, One time, I did a a Bible study on human emotion, um, on what the Word of God says about human emotion, and I discovered something fascinating. There are some human emotions that, according to Scripture, we are allowed to embrace. While there are others that, as children of God, we, we should not be making part of our emotional psyche. Let me give you an example. We're, we're not to embrace fear or worry. That's not supposed to be part of who we are. Um, anger, we can be angry, but only for 23 hours and 59 minutes. And then it's got to be over. Um, and you know what? Loneliness was one of those emotions that the Bible, it's, it's not really, um, it doesn't want us to land there. Because the Bible promises that we're never alone, that He will never leave us. And He'll never forsake us. And although we might feel alone, the truth is we're not alone because we have a Savior, we have a friend, we have a Father, we have the Holy Spirit who will never leave us. And so what I try to coach women to do in those moments when you feel gut-wrenchingly alone, and there will be those moments. When you feel that way, snuggle up to the Father. Um, develop your relationship with Him in an intimate way. And then my little Irish grandmother used to say, Carol, in order to have a friend, you have to be a friend. Yeah. And so my my second word of advice is, go make a friend. Go talk to somebody in line at Starbucks. Um, join a small group at church. Volunteer in the church nursery. Um, Tell a young mom you'll take care of her kids. Take a widow out to lunch. Um, Make a friend. Be proactive. This is one area in life where we just can't sit on the couch with a box of Kleenexes and feel sorry for ourselves on Friday night. We've got to do something about it. The power has been given to us to be a friendly person. So reach out and
1: make a friend. My guest, Carol McLeod, the name of the book significant. All right, we've arrived at the fifth principle. You are a woman of grace and peace. Uh, What do you mean by that, Carol?
2: Yeah, Pat, so whenever I um, say something, I try to go around the positive corner rather than the negative corner, and the section of the book that says you're a woman of grace and peace is the section of the book that deals with stress. Because, my goodness, we live at a moment in history when we are all spinning way too many plates, regardless of your gender. Um, There are bills to pay and noses to wipe, and dishes to do and um, in-laws to take care of. And it it, it never ends. The the to-do list never ends. And so what do we do in these moments of stress? And honestly, it's just It's a lifetime of stress Um, for many, many women. And so what do we do during stress? Well, first of all, you have to have priorities. You have to know what your priorities are and say no to other things. Um, Sometimes the most victorious decision you can make is to say no. No, thanks for thinking of me, but I just can't do that right now. Um, Sometimes that two-letter word no is the very best answer you can give. One of the things, Pat, that I say to women is that life is seasonal. So know what season you're in and live appropriately. Don't be shoveling snow when you should be planting flowers. And the stress comes when we're not acting appropriately to our season. So just in a nutshell, again, some of my recommendations to stressed-out women are to make a list of priorities and be firm about it. Say no to things that you can't say no to. And then know what season of life you're in and respond appropriately. And, of course, Pat, you know in dealing with stress, uh, you're not going to get away with from me without me saying, first things first, spend time with the Lord in the morning. Before you unload the dishwasher, before you in a load of laundry, Before you put on your eyeliner, spend time with the Lord. Open your Bible for five or ten minutes. Um, Put on worship music, because that will settle your soul in a way that nothing else will. That will be a barricade against stress, no matter how busy you are, if you put first things first. And the first thing in anyone's life, regardless of gender, male or female, should be, Spending time with the one who created you.
1: Now, I want you to get into the sixth principle, Carol, and it's, it's simply called you are significant. I think that's where we start. That's where we started. So how do you wrap the book up?
2: Yeah, well, we started there and, and we end there because what I do in that last part that says you are significant is, is to remind them of the principles in the book. You know, I am a teacher at heart, and all teachers know the importance of review before you pass a test. You're not going to pass a test unless you review. So let me review with your listeners today. Sure. Listen, your purpose has been determined by the one who created you. Um, so open the Bible and make a list of the things do you believe that you and God should partner to be together? Are you called to pray for the sick? Are you called to teach little children? Figure out your purpose with the one who created you. The second one is identity. You know, Pat, as as you know, I think you have a large family too, but Craig and I have um, five children, and my doctor didn't get to name my kids. My mom didn't get to name my kids. My neighbor didn't get to name my kids the creator craig and i the ones who created these children we got to name our kids and it's your dad it's your father it's your creator who gets to name you so to figure out who you are go to the word of god and see what your dad says about you Mm. so we we've done we've reviewed our purpose We've reviewed our identity. Now, the next one, of course, is loneliness. And let me just remind um, the people are listening, and of course, here we are, the week between um, Christmas and New Year. So this is a good reminder that you're not alone. Um, the Father is watching you. He's careful to take care of you. Um, and so if you feel alone, go make a friend. Go be Jesus to somebody. Um, Some of my most divine appointments have happened in the grocery store line, Mm. have happened in a doctor's office waiting room, just because I've reached out in friendship to somebody. And then the fourth thing we talked about was stress. Um, And if you're stressed out, reevaluate your priorities. It's a good thing to say no and put first things first. Spend time with your Creator and your Father every day. Hope that helped.
1: Carol, uh, I want you to expand on this. Uh, Okay. It it seems to me uh, that you are helping women to realize that they were designed to be a masterpiece filled with uncommon purpose and God-given identity. Uh, Can you expand on what I just shared there?
2: You know, I, I would love to. So, Pat, Um, I was raised at the height of the women's movement. And when I say that, some of your listeners won't even know what that is. But it was a time in American history um, when women were fighting to be recognized during the 60s and the 70s. Um, um, Some women were burning their bras. Other women were became TV stars or Supreme Court justices or astronauts. And it was into that world when I was trying to discover my identity, why I was created. And I read a very significant book at that time in my life called, let me be a woman by Elizabeth Elliot. Mm. Um, You remember Elizabeth? Oh yes. Um, Yeah. She had a profound impact on a generation of women and I drank in, I devoured everything she said and Pat, Um, One of the things that she would say daily in her program was this, anything, if offered to God, can become your gateway to joy. Now, when I say that, you might feel like I'm not answering your question, but I'm going around the corner to answer it, because so many women think because their life is hard that they're not magnificent. So many women think because they've never been married that they're not glorious. So many women believe that because they've been rejected, that that they don't have an identity. But let me say those words again. Anything, when offered to God, can become your gateway to joy. So, Pat, that is the way I've lived my life. And that is the way I call women to live their lives. Okay, ladies, let's stop thinking about you for a minute. And let's start thinking about the Father. Anything, if offered to God, can become your gateway to joy. So, Pat, that's what I have done. I am not Pollyanna with a Bible. I am not Mary Poppins um, who worships the Lord. I am a real woman who's lived in the trenches of life, five children on earth and five children in heaven. I'm a cancer survivor. I... Walked through a gut-wrenching depression for nearly a decade of my life. and Pat, I offered those things to God, and they became my gateway to joy. Um Those ravaging moments in a life, in a person's life can become your finest hour. So women stop making excuses, Stop saying my life is too hard, i'm I'm too rejected. I've been too abused. Carol, you don't know how much I weigh. Let's lay those things aside, offer them to God, and allow them to become our finest hour so that God can use us at our moment in history, just like he used Ruth, just like he used Elizabeth, just like he used Sarah. Let, let's take our pain and use it as a springboard to ministry. You know, Pat, we, we live in a day and age where platform is everything, social media platform. And so we look at people, and I'm not making a political statement, but I'm just throw some names out there. We look at people like Michelle Obama or Hillary Clinton, um, Jennifer Lopez, as the power brokers of our generation. Oprah. No, they're not. Unless they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, girls you have more power in your little finger than they ever will because you are filled with the power of God. So we don't want to be women of platform. We want to be women of power.
1: Has been Carol McCloud. Significant is the name of her book. Wonderful, wonderful session with Carol. We've got more. Stay with us on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 And FM, 101.5 The Word, in Orlando. Carol McLeod, our guest in that first segment, talking about her book, Significant. Uh, Dr. Eddie Moody joins us from Nashville. He uh, is a counselor educator at North Carolina Central University. His book is out, and we're going to talk about it, First Aid for Your Ministry. Uh, Eddie, so nice of you to join me. How are you doing?
3: Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on today, Pat.
1: First aid for your ministry. Uh, what does that mean, Eddie? What, explain that? What's that. What's the story here?
3: Well, we're focusing on people that are in leadership positions, especially people that are in the ministry and that are pastors or church leaders, and a lot of times folks in these types of leadership settings get beat up a lot, for lack of a better way of saying it, and so We're trying to talk to them and then folks that might try to support them about how they can help them to be as effective as possible in their ministry and to just continue on uh, serving the Lord and being effective wherever they may find themselves or whatever they may find themselves doing.
1: Eddie, you use the word clergy killers. Uh, Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean?
3: Well, there are some folks, and it's, this is, um, can be a surprise to some individuals, but especially in churches, that they have their own agenda, uh, they want to do things in a certain way, and can actually be damaging to the clergy and actually be damaging to a church. And so in the book we talk about how to identify who those individuals are, what one needs to do as they're dealing with them. And we do indicate that if uh, people are readers of Scripture, they will see examples of these individuals described. They're people that always think about how they can really create trouble or, or cause a disruption. And so in the book we say some of these people would just literally be evil. Some of them might have a mental illness that no one really knows about, but they sabotage the pastor, they, uh, they have their own agenda, and it's, it's really all about them as opposed to like what the church can do to reach the community or, or the other needs of people there within a congregation.
1: Eddie, you say that the characteristics include destructiveness, inflicting mm-hmm. pain and damaging their targets, they're determined, thinking of ways they can create chaos and difficulty, and they're deceitful, manipulative, and accuse. Woo, that's that's mm-hmm. that's strong. Uh, can, can you expand? Can you expand on that?
3: Well, it's often you see these individuals in kind of a small church setting, and they they're going to veto something the pastor may want to do, or the rest of the congregation, and so they may say some things that are not really true, or embellish something uh, to create difficulty for a pastor, and sometimes they have been in these particular churches for years upon years. And so we stress in the book how uh, when a pastor is encountering this, how other people need to step up and deal with it, where we need to exercise, like what we see there in Matthew 18. And we do also indicate that it's important for us to deal with it rather than leaving it to the next pastor. Uh, uh, These folks not only kill clergy, but they also kill churches. And so uh, what the tendency can be is for one pastor to say, well, I don't want to really rock the boat, or uh, I'm just going to let that roll. And often will uh, some of this mistreatment just keep to themselves and not tell to others or the other leaders within the church. And so we try to stress that uh, we have, churches that die every day and it's it's often because these people are within their congregation and they're thriving there we want to push back against that do things within a congregation scriptural scripturally and if we can do that oh it can be helpful to the church leaders and it can help the church
1: as well eddie moody is our guest uh the name of his book is first aid for your ministry Eddie, you say that accountability is seen as old school and rules or laws are scoffed at as irrelevant or antiquated. Uh, Can you expand on that?
3: Well, it seems like uh, today anyone in authority is pushed back against, whether it be a law enforcement officer or even like a teacher, uh, where you'll hear sometimes parents even say things to some teachers like, well, what are you going to do to make my child happier, we treat our child at home like they're an adult. And uh, really, that's not a scriptural way of thinking. Uh, and so what we're stressing within the book is you're in a leadership position, you're in a situation where uh, your authority is questioned and where it's not really uh, valued as much, to realize that God still values it and even the folks that may be pushing back against your authority, they desperately need it. They desperately need you to be there to hold them accountable. Uh, they desperately need you to need someone to say, "Well, you know, this is right, this is wrong." And so, we try to stress that if you are an authority figure, yes, you're going to have that pushback. The culture really doesn't respect authority as it once did, but. Uh, God has ordained that. You can see that in Romans chapter 13. It's important whether you're in a church or whether you're in a school or whether you're law enforcement, that you um, instill that. And, you're, you know, you're not a dictator and you're not um, adversarial, but you do hold people accountable. You do set limits, and that's good for them. Really, it's, it's more important for them uh, than it is for you. But it is important that you continue to stress that and try to gently talk to parents about how we need to hold our kids accountable. And if we do, they grow up to be adults that are more likely to uh, follow rules and uh, and be productive members of society. And we just need to help folks understand this uh, this whole issue with authority is a God-given thing. And uh, it's something that you need in a culture, you need in a society for it to function well.
1: Eddie, uh, you uh, have a fascinating sentence that I want you to talk about. Uh, it, It kind of pivots off this whole issue of leadership, especially for those within the church who tend to find themselves exhausted, discouraged, and even depressed. And then here's your quote, disappointment left unaddressed can lead to depression. Uh, What are you saying there, Eddie? What what do you mean by that?
3: Well, sometimes, especially like in a church setting, someone can look and say, well, you know, no one's really seeming to listen. People are not apparently responding. And the Scripture talks about having sober or serious judgment. Uh, If we're not careful, we'll begin to miss, well, Uh, this person over here responded to the message, or this this family here is different as a result of uh, being involved with our church and uh, listening to what we've talked to them about Christ. If we just allow ourselves to become, to just stay in that disappointment, we can spiral down. Uh, We talk about the example of Elijah. You know, many of the Israelites turned to the Lord, but those who followed Jezebel did not, and in First Kings 19, he spirals down, gets very depressed after she threatens his life, and basically he, he wants to quit. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to stress to our leaders, no, no, don't quit. Come back and look at something with sober judgment. What's going well? What's not going so well? Uh, what What can I do about this situation? So don't make it worse than it is. Look at it accurately, and sometimes there are things you need to do to do, you need to do things differently, but you can't if you just kind of wallow in self-pity or, or disappointment. And uh, we see it all throughout the Bible. You even see it like with John the Baptist where he says, are you the coming one, the Messiah, or should we seek another? He's disappointed because he's in the dungeon of a prison when other people seem to be getting killed and so forth. So it, the best of us can get disappointed, but we can't stay there. We've got to see Uh, think about what we're doing, what's working, what's valuable, uh, but not stay right at that point because we do see people get really depressed and we do see some terrible results after that also.
1: My guest, and he's written quite a powerful book, folks, is uh, Eddie Moody, uh, First Aid for Your Ministry. Eddie, here's another very interesting piece a strong and healthy family appears to be a key to successful ministry uh, that's yes. a, that's a quote yes. from you and i i'd like, yes. I'd like you to expand on that.
3: well, sometimes in the ministry, especially like uh, the spouse can come back and you know I didn't sign up for this. This is not you know what I wanted to do, and we often say in the ministry, both the husband and the wife can never get to that point where they both feel like this is not working if they do it's disastrous. and so we encourage the the husband and the wife to work together, and we also encourage the children uh, to work together too. and I talk about my own children; they sure did help me as I ministered and I remember one morning uh, coming back from one of the services, and my son said... Uh, Dad, we've got to do such and such about you know this particular situation at the church now he was about five, ah. and uh, I'm like I can't get away from this everywhere I go. you know people have got ideas about what we need to do, but then I also thought this is great. he is taking ownership of what's happening and he's thinking of what he might do to to help and he sees this as a team approach and really for both of them uh, they were involved in the music ministry they were in, before the first service my son is as soon as he could walk he was like putting things out and so forth and working with different people at the church and they were be you know they he cares about them and uh, they're like his really his family and so when you look at it as a you put a lot of time into it, but when you're all looking at it as a family, you do need to have your own family time and so forth, then he's working with something with the teen group, my wife's doing something that helps in some other situation, and uh, truly we're working on all cylinders, and then we're not as upset about all the time it takes in the ministry, and uh, you don't have that kind of resentment Uh I'll give an example. Uh, in a small community, like if a terrible tragedy happens, they'll often call you as a pastor, and I got a call like that after an accident once, and my daughter, when she was truly young, she's in the back seat, and I could she could tell I was trying to figure out what to do. Do I go to the accident? Do I try to take her somewhere else? And she just said, Daddy, and she named the person. She said, this is so-and-so. You have got to go to that accident, and it's kind of her way of Of giving me permission, like you know, I know this is going to be kind of scary, but this is this is you need to be there for that particular person. So that helped us. It helped me personally, but it helped all of us as we're going and doing the ministry. So uh, a lot of people in the ministry will have family members that resent it. We try to encourage in the book to do your best to get everybody on the same page. Help people under. Help the family members understand why we do what we do, and why it's so important.
1: What's been the response to your book, Eddie?
3: Well, I've had a lot of pastors really enjoy it, and even though pastors do read the Bible a lot, um, you know, they'll say things like, you know, when you really do look at it, because uh, we talk about Moses and Jeremiah and uh, John the Baptist and Elijah, and they're like, you know, everybody has been through this, and so I think what it's really helped is for folks to kind of take a a step back and look and see, yeah, I'm not in this thing by myself. um all people in the ministry are going to experience this kind of stress and these kinds of challenges and and that's just the way it's that's part of the way it is, as you can see all through the scripture, which we try to put a lot of emphasis on in the book so I've been pretty um, excited about it, really. Um, and I think it kind of gives folks a permission to know, you know, we are going to have some tough times, but also we have some really some really good ones, too.
1: Our guest is Dr. Eddie Moody. Uh, we're talking about his book that is out now, First Aid for Your Ministry, Randall House uh, Put It Out. And uh, we have another segment with Eddie, and I want you to stay with us. Uh, When we come back, uh, I want Eddie to talk about a world where leadership and power often go hand in hand. And uh, Eddie says, what is true leadership? Uh, We're going to find out about that. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We get together like this every Saturday here on the new AM 990. And FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Dr. Eddie Moody is with us. He's uh, in Nashville. Eddie as uh, advertised um, in a world where leadership and power often go hand in hand. You say that true leadership is servant-oriented and places followers above self. Uh, I want you to uh, dig into that for us.
3: Okay. So sometimes uh, some folks may go into the ministry thinking, you know, it's going to be glamorous. Uh, I'm going to have perhaps multiple uh, service sites, and one might. But really, when you get down to it, it's all about working with people, working with people in some of the most difficult moments of their lives if you're in the ministry, and being willing to be there and put their needs uh, above your own, and in, in the book we talk about really Jesus, you know, the servant that he was, and so we've got to look and think about the church. We've got to think about the other people that we're involved in, the people that will even follow us, and thinking about things from a, a long term perspective. I fear a lot of times we look at our present situation. Well, our church is going well now, or or wherever one might be, things are okay. And we think, uh, we talk about in the book Hezekiah, the king, where he did, he did something else not to do. He invited the Babylonians in, and Isaiah came in and confronted him about that and said, because of what you've done, this is what is going to happen with your descendants. And basically Hezekiah said, well, that's, that's okay. Uh, as long as things are okay in my day, he wasn't so concerned about that. So when we're a leader, we're serving the people at that moment that God has put around us, but we've also got to think about the decisions that we make, uh, the things that we're doing, and how that impacts the next generation and, and perhaps even the next one in Hezekiah's case. You know, a true leader is going to serve and think about what happens to everyone who comes behind me. Am I putting them, am I setting them up in a good situation, or am I creating great difficulty for them and making it less likely uh, that they'll be able to succeed?
1: What are your thoughts on burnout? Is it a, a real threat?
3: I think so, and especially in the ministry, because things are just so often emotional, especially when you think about death, which people in the ministry deal with a lot, probably as only funeral directors would deal with it more. And so when you're moving from one place to the next, you're busy, um, it's hard to be able to take things and process it. And so some pastors will be in situations where they may do two or three funerals a week, and um, and especially like if a child has died or someone has uh, died in a sudden accident, oh, it. it it almost feels like you've lost a piece of your own life, you know. Um, so, what we stress in the book is know that that's real. That that's the kind of thing that can happen. You've got to take time to be with the Lord, and you see Jesus doing that constantly. He's getting away. He's taking time to be with the Father. You've got to t- You've got to take the time to be in the Word, and and also take the time to be with your family and be with friends. And we stress it's important as well to exercise or, or walk or do whatever it is that you like to do. Every day try to have something, or every two, two or three days, something, some time for yourself, something you enjoy, uh, and that can help prevent burnout. Uh, but there probably most people in the ministry will get burned out at some point. We want to prevent it if possible, uh, and then if we do become burned out, not stay there long, because it can be detrimental to our ministry.
1: Eddie, I'm intrigued with this uh, uh, piece of your book. What does failure in leadership have to do with learning? Interesting thought. I I want you to tell us about that.
3: Well, we talked about Peter. Peter. He falls over and over again, and if, if you do anything, and you know this from your work with uh, basketball and athletics, you know, you're going to fail. You know you're going to, you're going to mess up, and sometimes that's part of it with just being innovative, and so we stress, you know what, you're going to mess up, and you're probably going to mess up a lot. But every time you do, you want to learn from it. It's like Maxwell talks about, failing forward. So what went well, what did not go so well, what can I learn from that particular situation? And we want our folks to be actively trying things, actively uh, trying to advance the kingdom and that may that may mean they do something do a lot of things that's never been done and sometimes those things will work sometimes they'll not uh, but we keep we keep learning from it And sometimes we say things we ought not to say, so we come back and we quickly apologize and try to stop it from turning into some big kind of situation, a big problem. Um, But we want our people to fail because they've tried something that didn't work. We don't want them to fail because they kind of set back and they... They let things happen around them. They they were not innovative, or or we don't we don't want them to fail because they've been lazy. I guess is the way to put it. So we want them to use their time well, uh, to make good decisions, and when you do fail, learn from it and keep right on moving, keep right on trucking along in the ministry.
1: Eddie Moody is our guest. Doctor Moody has written the book First Aid uh, for Your Ministry. Here's another thought that intrigues me. You encourage Christian leaders to strive for long tenures. Uh, Why?
3: Well, we see from the data that they tend to be far more successful or or effective. So, like, when you begin to look at turnaround churches, churches that were struggling, uh, what you find is that they tend to have been there for 11.2 to like 21.6 years. That's some work that Tom Rayner uh, did some years ago. And so whatever the situation, the longer a person's there, uh, there can be a, a situation diminishing returns, but they tend to do quite well. And in some of my work with pastors, and um, I've noticed that there's a little bit of a problem and so then the pastor moves on to another church and then after a couple of years then there's a problem and they move on. If a pastor will go to a church and stay, they begin the the people begin to invest in him, he begins to invest in them. They're doing funerals, they're doing they're seeing babies born. They're they're doing life together really. And so you become a fabric of the church of that particular community, and it becomes easier for you to, to uh, do better. I now work with the National Association of Free Will Baptists with a lot of different churches and a lot of different pastors. And it feels to me like there's almost a type everywhere you go. Well, here's a person that that's this way in the church, and here's a person that's that way. So if you're running from one church to another, that person is probably going to be at the next church as well. They just have a different name, and they may look a little different. But if you'll stay and let your leadership skills develop, let your investment in their life begin to pay off and their investment in your life, you do tend to see things go better, uh, and you do tend to see some growth. And so the data shows us that I can I'll also say from my own experience, um, I pastored our church for 19 years. And I remember, you know, people would say, well, how about, uh, you know, a bigger church or whatever. I'm thinking in my mind, I can't go through those first situations again. I don't want to do, I don't want to fight those battles again. I'm learning how to do it. It's a different set of challenges where I'm at now. But I'd have to start all over again if I went mm. somewhere else, and that's why we want them to try to to stay put. Uh, you know, ask yourself why is it that I'm leaving if I am leaving, um, but make sure that your your job is is done there.
1: My guest has been Dr. Eddie Moody. His book, First Aid for Your Ministry. Eddie, wonderful to catch up with you, and congratulations on this book, and uh, I'm so grateful. This has been a fascinating half hour, and I wish you all uh, all the very best.
3: Well, I appreciate you. Thank you, Pat, for your wonderful ministry there and all the leadership that you have had over the years. And It's just been an honor to get to speak with you today, my friend.
1: Dr. Eddie Moody, our guest, first aid for your ministry, the name of his book. We've got a wrap up. Right after this, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Carol McLeod, our guest in the first segment, and then Dr. Eddie Moody came along and talked about his book, First Aid for Your Ministry. I want to talk to you for a minute about Major League Baseball in Orlando. We're trying to make that happen. And we need to hear your voice. We need to hear you express yourself uh, if you think that's a good idea. And if you uh, might have interest in a season ticket plan, if this all works out, we're pushing forward. And we need you to go up to the website, OrlandoDreamers.com. OrlandoDreamers.com. And uh, just follow the outline there and uh, respond to uh, our questions and... uh, You'll get recorded, and we're trying to push forward. We've got well over 10,000 people that have already gone up there, uh, but we need many more uh, who have an interest. Uh, We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new 990 AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.